Full three days in the presence of God for those of us that were able to make it to the uh, to the church retreat, and um, it was so wonderful to see people just rejoice together and and as a family just to love God and know God. And for those of you, it um, I do I do believe God has also so much in store for all of you, even this morning through God's word. And so let's just pray, Father. We just ask in Jesus' name that you will speak to our hearts, O God, that your word will come alive, O God, bringing into our spirits a joy of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for everyone that is gathered here this morning. I want to thank you for your love. Speak right into our spirits, O God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, sorry, the book of Hebrews and chapter 6, Hebrews and chapter 6. In the last week, you heard a message upon being built and established upon the rock. A wise man builds his house on the rock, and a foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And indeed, the wise and the foolish are around all, all around in the land. And uh, it is so important for us to understand that when we build something, it is important for us to build something upon right foundations. That is why Paul, uh, or the writer of Hebrews, as he writes in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, the Bible talks about, therefore, leaving the elementary principles teaching about Christ. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Now, he goes on, Paul is writing, I'm going to start a series I want to talk about today. He's talking about, let us begin, and uh, let us begin to move on from some of the foundations. And yet, when we ask the Christians, what is the basic foundation of our faith? Many people do not know or understand what are some of the foundations of the Christian faith. And Paul goes on to say here in Hebrews 6, let us keep on laying the foundation again and again and again. Let us move on to maturity, which means if you are dealing with foundations again and again, you've not really come to a place of maturity. But when we look at much of the Christian church around the world, around the world people are again and again and again talking about a few of the foundations, primarily the first three. They visit the first three foundations again and again and again. Now, what does he say here? I want you to leave these elementary teaching. What does it mean to be, what is elementary teaching? Those of you who are teachers will understand what is elementary teaching. Basic, baby stuff, baby, elementary school. You think of big kids or small kids, baby kids, elementary things. And he says, not laying a foundation of these elementary things, let us move on to maturity. And that is the heart of God. God child of God, God wants the Christian, God wants the Christian to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says, so going on to lay on the foundation, let's not keep on doing these elementary things by laying foundations of some of the basics, and he starts with six basics. And I want to enumerate these six basics, and I want to talk about the first one today. The six basics, he says, is not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. And I'll talk about that in a little detail. The first thing he says is the basic of Christian life 
is that you are not saved by your works that you're doing again and again and again and again. Then he says the second foundation he talks about is, uh, uh, is faith towards God. He said that walking in the faith with God is a foundation of our Christian faith. That if you don't have that relationship of God, you will not be able to walk in a proper foundation with God. So the third thing he goes on to say, first one is, uh, is righteousness. The second one he talks about is faith towards God. The third foundation he talks about is the instructions of baptism. Now when you look in the Bible, these three things, the first three things, are commonly spoken in the, in the churches of the living God. You hear the people talk about you hear people talk about faith. You hear people talk about, uh, you know, of, or you hear people talk about different aspects of baptism. But when it comes to the deeper foundations or the next three things, you don't see people really talk about these things. Then the next three things it talks about is the laying on of hands. And I will talk about it in these coming weeks. The laying on of hands, which is godly order. And the next thing, next foundation is talking, he's talking about is resurrection from the dead. The truth that our life is not finishing with death. That death is just a passing by. That there is a life that is eternal. And so it's so important for us to know about the resurrection from the dead. And the Bible talks about it in Thessalonians and Corinthians and different portions. And then he talks about another foundation called the eternal judgment. And as I've been studying some of these topics, there has been a debate from the time of the New Testament church on some of these topics. These debates came back again in a powerful way in the time of the, you know, in, in the, time of the, uh, the Reformation, where people begin to come back and talk about, is it by works that you're saved? Is it by faith you're saved? And they begin to debate and talk about all about it. Even today, after many hundreds of years of debate, because of different verses in the Bible that are showing or throwing light on different aspects of truth, people tend to take one or the other side when it comes to understanding some of these foundational truths. And based on what aspect or stand you take on being righteous, being right with God, it will also reflect on your understanding on, of the eternal judgment. What you, the, the light in which you look at the first foundation is going to affect how you're going to look at all the other foundations. Now, I must tell you that different men of God hold different positions on these things, but it's so important for every one of you to look into the scripture and not go by big names. It's important for you to study scripture for yourself because the Bible says all scripture is god bread. And it is for every child of God. This is the constitution of heaven for us. Amen. This is God's law. This is God's constitution for us. So let's look at that first one. When the Bible says, let us not lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Let me title this first foundation of the Christian faith. Let me title it righteousness. To really understand righteousness, you cannot start studying righteousness by studying what Christ did for us. Listen to me carefully. All right, listen to this carefully. You cannot start studying righteousness by studying what Christ did for us. I thought for a long time, if I really want to study righteousness, where do I start? And I concluded 
that if I really wanted to study righteousness, I needed to start with, is God a righteous God? I needed to start with understanding if God was a righteous God, because what, what difference does it make to anybody, whether you're righteous or not, if somebody is not the absolute sitting person giving some righteous requirements of the law. So the first thing I found out when I began to study about righteousness is that our God, the Bible declares him to be a righteous God. The Bible says in Zephaniah 3.5, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Righteousness has, is connected with justice. Justice and mercy comes from love. So why is God a right God or a righteous God that he cannot do injustice? Because God is love. The need for God to be right, the need for God's righteousness, the need for God to have some things right that he calls some things right and some things wrong is not from the power that he, uh, that he holds. Righteousness comes from love. So when God began to, to begin to reveal himself, who he was, when God began to reveal, if he had to put all of God and explain all of God, the one word that God found is that God is love. And then when he looked at an authoritative word of revealing love, he found the one word that God is a good father. Hallelujah. That this father was a loving father. This father was a good father. And so this good father who is love, is also righteous because love cannot be unrighteous. Love cannot do wrong. Love cannot do injustice. Love has to do right. That is the innate need of love that love calls on if I love you, that I want to do right towards you. You cannot say I love somebody and violate them. You cannot say I love somebody and manipulate them. So many people say, oh, I love him so much, that's why I'm bugging you. You can't bug him. Love, love, love doesn't cause you to manipulate somebody. Love causes you to be, do right with somebody. Love causes you to be right with somebody. But yet our understanding of righteousness seems to be only of what Jesus has given to us in a forgiveness of sin. We have to understand righteousness from a position of love. Everybody say righteousness comes from love. So if I am saying that today I am the righteousness of God in Christ, I'm actually saying that I'm encountering the love of God. Hallelujah. How can I say that I am righteous in Christ and not have encountered the love of God amazingly upon my life? So when we say that, that, that somebody is a righteous child of God, different people have different understandings. Now, all, all through history, Mankind has a sincere desire to be right with God. Who wants to be on the wrong side of God? Nobody wants to be on the wrong side of God. Some people say there is no God. Very, very, now even those who say there is no God, they, they curse God or they swear against God sincerely because they actually believe there is no God. But if somebody really believed there was a God and knew that he is a righteous God and knew that there is a day of reckoning, which one of those people will stand up to God? Oh yeah? You think you, you want to mess around with me? No, because we know that we can't stand up. His righteousness, everything about him is so holy that somebody who would believe in God would not stand up to God. So what did, this, what did it mean, righteousness? Somehow becoming right with God. 
what did it mean to the Gentile? For a Gentile who never knew God, his desire for righteousness was not to get in trouble with God. That was his mindset. I shouldn't get in God's way. So what would the Gentile do? They would do or sacrifices or different kinds of worships or, or they would do different things somehow to stay out of God's bad books. And, you know, they will, they, they will do donations or they will do, you know, any form of their, their own understanding of worship or something. Why? Because I want to keep God happy so that he will not hurt me. The Gentile understanding of righteousness is stay away from trouble with God. But that's not God's heart of righteousness. Imagine if, if you had a child and your child's understanding of being right with you was don't get in trouble with daddy. I mean, that's all he knew. That daddy, mommy is trouble. You mess around with them, you're in trouble. If that's the only understanding of being right with the parent they had, oh, what a poor understanding of righteousness. Even if your understanding of righteousness, listen to me, even if your understanding of righteousness is that now that I have been made righteous in Christ, therefore I have free access to God, so I have the inheritance of God on my life, and yet I am not interested in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that understanding of righteousness is a faulty understanding of righteousness. The only right understanding of righteousness, what Christ has ever done for us, can only be understood in the light of an encounter with the love of God. You cannot understand right way. That is why a Gentile tried his best not to get into trouble. He tried to buy God. Some of us still Gentile in our methods. Live how we want, give God an offering to a religious person body and we think that we have got God. We try to buy, buy, buy God, bribe God, but everything they try to do for God to keep him happy is because they are serving an unknown God. If they had known God, they would have taken it to another level. What does a righteous righteousness mean for a Jew? For a Jew, righteousness, according to the Jewish ways, was to keep the Ten Commandments. If you kept the Ten Commandments, you'd be right. A rich young ruler one day came to Jesus and asked Jesus, Jesus, what do I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, you know the rules, you know. Honor your father and mother, love the Lord your God, do not break the... Oh, those ten things. Hallelujah, I have kept all of them. Suddenly, this rich young ruler was feeling very righteous. He was feeling very righteous that he did everything right and he was go everything was going right and he can't do anything wrong. And, and the Bible says that even though he was feeling that he was doing everything right, Jesus looked at him and he said, he said, you have this one more thing. So he said, what's that? Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Now, this man, the Bible says, was exceedingly rich. And so his heart was broken and he went away very sad. Now, I was wondering, what is the connection between selling everything and, you know, and, and righteousness. What is everything? What happened was Jesus was inviting him from a Jewish righteousness of keeping the law, was now inviting him into a new kingdom righteousness. If any man wants to follow him, follow me. Let him deny himself. Let him take up the cross and let him follow me. So if we say that righteousness 
upon my life is only by what I believe that Jesus is the son of God. That is not righteousness because that is only part of righteousness. Righteousness is far, far, far more. And I'm going to talk to you a little about it. So the Bible says that the Jewish guys, the, for them, Deuteronomy 6.25, the Bible says, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. For the Jew, it was obey the law, obey the Bible, obey the Bible, obey the Bible, do that, do that. But, and they suddenly felt the more they did it, the more they felt, oh, righteous. Now, many of us, we get into this trap. We get into the trap of saying, I go to church every Sunday. I give offering to the church. I'm blessing the people. I pray for, you know, I pray for some people that I, whenever I remember. And suddenly, everything we're doing, we are beginning to feel righteous. Some of us feel righteous. We went for the camp meeting. And we're looking at the other unrighteous people who didn't show up for the camp meeting. You should have seen the look of some people, you know, from the corner of your eye. You sinner, you Gentile. You didn't make it to heaven because of your unrighteousness. No, see, sometimes we suddenly feel very righteous because we've done some things right. And for God, God, the, the law was, was not sufficient for Jesus to make righteous in the kingdom. The law was good enough for the kingdom of Israel. But it was not good enough for the Jew and the Gentile within the kingdom of God. Because the righteousness within the kingdom of God was going to come from a new level of righteousness. And so for a child of God, what did it mean to be righteous for a child of God? For a child of God, to be righteous meant to love God. That is why the Bible says in Matthew's Gospel 6.33, who knows that scripture? Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, this is a very important verse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to establish righteousness from this angle, and I think it's so important. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. For a child of God, righteousness is to love God, is to, is to, is to, ha to have, to have no, nothing in your heart that comes between you and loving God, to set those things aside, and to receive his finished work. To receive to be justified, to be sanctified, and thereby to be walking in the love of God. The righteousness for a child of God is not keeping the commandments. The righteousness of the child of God is not in, in keeping God in your good books and bribing him and buying, him a, buying yourself a ticket to heaven. And even if you take a membership in a church, or even if you walk by the rules of the things that your pastors tell you, that does not make you righteous. Righteousness begins at the foot of the cross. Amen. That is the be-all and end-all of righteousness in Christ. Righteousness, to understand it, you cannot understand righteousness without understanding the law and the fact that Christ is a lawgiver. Many people say that now that I'm righteous, it's the end of the law. No, no, no. It's not the end of the law. It is fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. That's what the Bible says. That you cannot stand... See, the word righteous, what would it mean to an average person? Righteous. What would it mean to an average person? Sorry? Good? Oh, correct. To be right. To be right with God. So if I have to be right with God, there has to be a right and a wrong. 
How can there be a right and wrong without there being a law? Now God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of all the other trees, but you can't eat of this tree. Which means when you study righteousness, it began because of the commandment given in the garden. It began because God who is love put commandments because of love. He didn't put the commandment to restrain Adam and Eve. He, in fact, many people, like I shared the other day, many people think Adam and Eve were created to stay within the confines of the garden. Adam and Eve were given a responsibility to tend the garden, but they were given an anointing to have dominion over the whole earth. So they were not limited to the garden. They were called to have dominion over the whole earth and, and to rule and to name the fish and the birds of the sky and the animals and, and everything. So God had given them authority because he had first given them a law. He gave them, he gave them a law and he gave them authority. You never have, listen to me carefully, you've got to understand this. You can never have authority without having a law. Come on. When we use the word, well, don't get into trouble with the authorities. What do we mean? Which means the authorities are the law keepers. They are the ones who are what we call the law enforcement officers. How can one say, I have authority without there being a law? And therefore, law in itself is not a bad thing. But the understanding of it, that the law, if you understand that law comes from a God who wants to punish, you have a wrong understanding of God. Law is given by a God who loves us. How? Every parent, how many of you have given laws to your children? If you've ever given laws, it's because of love. Because of love. Righteousness cannot exist without a law and a lawgiver. This is why, if you want to study righteousness in the New Testament... You have to study it in the perspective of the kingdom. Righteousness begins with the kingdom of God's story. What does the Bible talk about? The Bible says that there was a kingdom of God. And in this kingdom of God, God was the ruler. Ruler rules. He rules with commandments. And the Bible says one day, Satan, who was one of his angels, he was a covering cherub. He was he was. He was leading worship and all of those things and he saw God's glory and he saw, in fact, the Bible, the name of God that is used the most in the Old Testament is the name called, is, is the, name called the Lord of Hosts. So the concept of God in the Bible is the God of Hosts. The word Hosts actually means the armies. So the moment you call God the God of the armies of heaven, you are not really talking about, a, a, you know, a nice roly-poly Santa Claus God sitting in heaven and licking that Santa Claus. What's happening there on earth? Is everything happy there? You know, keep everyone happy everywhere, little boys. No, no, that's not the concept. The concept, he's the commander of the armies of heaven. Amen. He's the commander in chief. So you cannot study righteousness without first studying who God is. That he's a commander-in-chief. And this commander-in-chief had given commandments here on the earth and told all the angelic hosts, you, shall you stand in place. Lucifer now wanted to take that place. So he arose and he began to stand in that place. And he began to tell himself, I'm going to rule. And God said, I want him out of heaven. And he, because Lucifer sinned, he was asked to leave the domains of heaven. And when he broke righteousness with God, the first thing he lost was authority. 
Are you listening to me? You and I can never have a delegated authority without having a right standing with the authority. I've had seen people, you look at the book of Acts and uh, you see that some, some of the Jews, they came from Jerusalem. And they came there and started teaching wrong doctrine among the Antioch people. And then they went on to say, you know, we've come from Jerusalem and I want you to know we Jews like that have done it like you God, you Gentiles have to also be circumcised and all of that. And it gets referred back to Jerusalem. And the people in Jerusalem say, the apostles say, we have not said anyone like that. They're just coming and they're using our name. What are they trying to do? They were trying to enforce their own authority without having a righteousness, a right standing with the leaders. Many times, we try to execute authority without having a right standing with the authorities God has placed upon our life. So when it comes to righteousness, it begins with authority. Righteousness cannot be taught starting grace. It has to start with a God that has the rules. So this God laid the rules, Satan rebelled, he and his hosts were thrown out, and he came to earth, and the first thing he wanted to do is that he wanted God's prized creation to rebel against God. He wanted to start a mutiny in every part of the kingdom. This is the concept of the kingdom. It doesn't start with the cross. It doesn't start with the Jewish Israel. It doesn't start with Abraham. It doesn't start even with Adam. It starts with a mutiny that happened on a cosmic level. It happened, started with a mutiny that happened in the heavens that God had thrown Satan down. And now Satan, he wanted Adam to sin. And that coming in was not because he didn't like Adam. It came in because now he didn't like God. Amen. To understand righteousness, you have to begin in the beginning. And it has been always a battle of the kingdoms. So when Jesus, what was Jesus' message? He said, the kingdom of God has come. So Jesus' message about a cross and somehow taking a few of us not so rebellious people to heaven. You know, we don't consider ourselves rebellious. We consider ourselves relatively not so rebellious. Compared to others. Our righteousness is constantly comparing to the, to the other Christian in town or, or the other believer that is there. And compared to him, I'm much better. Compared to her, of course, she's a, she's a mess. And so we're constantly, we're constantly trying to think what is the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God has to be understood in the concept of the kingdom. This is why Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his this is the connection between righteousness and the kingdom. You can never understand righteousness unless you understand the kingdom. Why righteousness is connected to the kingdom? Because we must understand. Listen, I made a statement one day, uh, a few days ago when I was teaching in a Bible school. Uh, you know, I, I, I made a statement. This was powerful and just touched my heart so much. I said, God is not giving us an invitation into eternal life. Listen to me carefully. God is not giving us an invitation into eternal life. He's giving us an invitation to return back to his kingdom. And one of the privileges of repentance and returning back to the kingdom of God is eternal life. Oh, come on now. Amen. He is not inviting us into a world into a good life, a comfortable life, he's inviting us back into his kingdom. The moment he's inviting you and me back into his kingdom, he's inviting you and me back into godly order. But he's going on to say, now don't be proud about you being in the kingdom because of what you're doing, because that is like filthy rags before me. 
God is saying, you know, that, that the best righteousness of God, of man, is like filthy rags. God desires us to have righteousness. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a right standing with God. It is not enough to receive the finished work of the cross by faith alone, but I think it's important to hunger for righteousness. Everybody say hunger. Do you see that verse, blessed are those who? Now, I know the context he was speaking to the Old Testament Jewish people, but he was telling them, I want you to hunger to be right with God. He was introducing a kingdom, and he was saying, unless your righteousness becomes more than the pastors and the prophets and all these people, the priests and the Levites, you will never see the kingdom of God, which means you're saying by keeping the Ten Commandments alone, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. God wants us to be more righteous than all those religious people that we see in front of us. God wants us to be more righteous. How is that again? He was saying, so when he was telling them this, bless those who hunger for righteousness, he was not saying, I want you to be more holy, that, or if they fast one time a day, you must fast three times, a, you know, one time a week, you must fast three times a week. If they pray one hour, you must pray three hours. Is that how you become more righteous than the priest? He said, no, that is not what I'm telling you. What he said is, the only way your righteousness can become more than the priests and all these Levites and all these things is by entering into the kingdom of God. There was no other way by which we could become more righteous other than the kingdom of God. So the foundation of our faith is to become right with God. We need to become right with God. And when we see in the Bible, we see that Paul preached about getting right with God. He preached about getting right with God. We see that in Acts 24, 25, the Bible says, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. If we, you know, if we had an opportunity to stand before a king, how would we present the gospel? We would say, your majesty, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been so exciting to you know, have this great opportunity, your majesty, to stand before you. I've been preparing for this all my life. I knew I will stand one day before kings and rulers and, and all of that. You know, your majesty, I just want to tell you that, you know, that, 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 that Jesus loves you. And, you know, it's exciting to, you know, if you will, I, I know in the midst of your busy schedule, if you can just, you know, consider Jesus, it will be great. And then we will have all the meal in front of us. If we are a man, we will not miss the meal. And then we would just probably walk out. Here is Paul standing before, before Herod and Festus and, and all these great people. He's standing there and he's telling them, Felix, I have something to tell you. He said, what is it? He says, I want you to know, get right with God. Get right with God. And it is not enough for you to bribe God with religious offerings. Turn away from sin. Get right with God. Now, you might say, oh, is it the my works of turning away from sin? That's oh, he, that, that answer, he answered to the Jews. He told them, for you Jews, I want you to know the way of righteousness is receiving G the finished work of Jesus. is by the kingdom of God. But to the Gentile, he constantly said, you also come to the kingdom. Get right with God. Paul spoke three things. Righteousness. He said, self-control, which means get a grip, boy. Get a grip of how you're living because one day 
the third thing he preaches one day you and i are going to stand before the eternal throne of god and there we are going to have to give an answer for the way we have lived every one of us is going to have to give an answer for the way we have lived and so as we consider this whole concept of righteousness i want to today i want to just bring in this understanding that god's righteousness is not like man's righteousness and if we don't understand that righteousness is beginning from the kingdom of god if we don't understand that when we say i am righteous before god we are saying i am righteous before a king a king is a standard setter i am being set right now we might say i have my own rules i decide how i live now all that is true until the day we die you can't even decide the day you die or the day you're born you can't decide which family you're born into because god has sent us into this world to be part of this world so that we can be a light in the darkness if we will align ourselves back to the righteousness of god so when you come to understanding of righteousness the bible says it, that there you know when you look in the bible there were different dispensations the first dispensation you see was probably the time of the garden when god created everything and put adam and eve in the garden everything was good and there was authority given to man he was right with god he represented god he carried the blessing of god in fact it was so cool he could name everything he could name everybody he said hey you animal come here and he says he what do you think what, what name shall we give and he would say oh this pussy cat we'll call him lion all right hi lion you be lion you know i mean there was authority there was authority upon adam and eve and so that was a dispensation after that when they had to leave the garden they went into another dispensation and that particular season was called a season of the conscience romans in chapter 1 talks about it. it says that everybody had decided to you know live however they wanted but the things of god was not secret god had begin to speak to them in their conscience that is why even though we were not, when we were not saved our conscience pricked us until we harden our conscience you know conscience bothers that's not right i shouldn't do that even children they have a conscience you never see a child come into this world with a hardened conscience you know that you never see a child come into the world with a hardened conscience that is why god gives everybody a chance to respond to their conscience but through the years our conscience gets hardened our conscience gets so hardened that we're thinking in our heart oh you know i because i don't understand that i don't believe in that anything i don't understand i don't believe in i only believe in what i understand and what we what we don't understand is that the conscience is insufficient because my conscience tells me i'm okay does not mean i'm okay who has to declare me okay the righteous judge who is the righteous judge jesus who is jesus the one who is our righteousness so when i come into a new testament faith i can't come into the kingdom of god and say okay i received jesus as my savior but you know what bible and all that stuff you know i, I don't know about all that you know i think it's an old book written by how many people wrote that book ah uh, well i don't know i think there's some human factor in that i think some divine factor in that and i think some you know writer's error is there in there and there are 100000 mistakes in the bible but i believe in jesus you see what in jesus are you believing that he can't even put a book together Amen. That's like believing in your teacher who doesn't know a subject. Who can't put an article together. 
and the bible talks about and the bible talks about the lawgiver now some people come across and interpret different things in different ways that i understand but the bible says all scripture is god bred you can't say i am righteousness without righteousness of god without acknowledging that the scripture is god bred hallelujah so there there was the there was the after the conscience abraham came and through isaac and jacob and then moses came and from the bible says that that there was the era of the law the 10 commandments and god told israel i want you to form a nation the children of abraham through isaac and through jacob i want you to form a nation and this nation i'm going to give some laws and he gave that nation laws on top of the mountain on mount sinai in arabia and those laws were the 10 commandments and now the bible says god said i want you to walk in these laws i want you to honor god i want you to honor your father and mother i don't want you to commit adultery i don't want you to murder anybody i don't want you to covet anything from anybody desire anybody's things i don't want you to you know he, 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 i don't want you to worship anything that is not god i want you to know he so he gave commandments to israel he gave the 10 commandments to israel and now all of this nation was trying to somehow please god by keeping these 10 commandments we have got our own version of christian 10 commandments from our childhood in sunday school and from our parents and our and some of our teachers who said the do's and the don't do's and even though we are not jews we are in some way become like the jews because we have our own version of the 10 commandments and then we go into the world we go into school a little of evolution and a little of uh, you know mythology and everything mixes together and it forms this own 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 concept after the jewish season of the law the bible says in the fullness of time christ sent his son in the fullness of time christ sent his son i'm going to stop today's teaching introducing this concept of righteousness i want you to know something righteousness finally made sense for a fallen and broken mankind when god sent his son jesus christ but you will never understand the righteousness that comes from christ unless you understand the kingdom of god that christ is king and that god had a right standing with himself god himself is righteous and because he is righteous he says i am holy and when he says i am holy means i am the one that sets that standard and now he's saying i want all of you to be holy which means set the same standards like i am or live like i am living and in the new covenant he said because i know you're struggling to live like i'm living i want to give you the holy spirit the holy spirit is a guarantee of the righteousness that comes from god he's a guarantee that now you are right with god and the holy spirit upon your life is a guarantee that now you are going to stand before god and there is a great and powerful inheritance that comes from god The Bible says in John 1:14 in and this word became flesh and dwelt among us. This righteousness of God. This righteousness of God there was an introduction and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory as the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth. The righteousness of God was revealed through Christ. And we're going to look at that 
you know, in the coming days. We're going to look at what it really means. But today I want you to know, as we are getting into this understanding of these foundations, I want you to keep in your heart, God is saying, I want you to move on from just these foundations. And the first foundation he said, I want you to repent from dead works. Which means he was saying, I want you to stop feeling great about the fact that you went to some pilgrimage place. And I believe you're going to get into this season of understanding the power of being righteous in Jesus Christ. It is not by our works. It is by faith in Christ Jesus.